0: Hi, this is Mark Graben from Kinexus. We're excited to announce Vaccinexis. It's a free platform using Kinexus technology that allows people who are doing process improvement work related to COVID vaccinations to share with each other. You can share improvements that you've done in your vaccination process. You can see what others are submitting so that you can adopt and adapt or be inspired. We hope this helps spread continuous improvement as we aim to stop spreading COVID. To apply to get a free account, visit Vaxinexus.com. That's V-A-C-C-I-N-E-X-U-S.com. Hi, this is Mark Raven here. Today we have a special... Presentation for you. Um, one of the other podcasts that I host is something I started in September called My Favorite Mistake. And uh, last week I had Kinex's CEO Dr. Greg Jacobson as a guest on the podcast. So we thought we would share that episode and cross post it here. So the full audio of that podcast will follow. And if you like this podcast and you're interested in subscribing, you can go to www.myfavoritemistake.com. Clint Corley from Kynexus is going to be uh, a guest in the coming months. And you might hear other Kynexus voices um, on My Favorite Mistake. But again, here is our very own Dr. Greg Jacobson. Episode 31, Dr. Greg Jacobson, CEO of Kynexus.
1: Maybe one of the mistakes I had, which was, which was trying to pick one of my favorite mistakes.
0: I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes, because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So, this is a place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. It would be a mistake to not enter to win a free My Favorite Mistake coffee mug. Go to markgraben.com/slash mistake31. And now on with the show. Hi, welcome to my favorite mistake. I'm Mark Graben, and we're joined today by Dr. Greg Jacobson. He is an emergency medicine physician. He's also the co-founder and the CEO of the technology company Kinexus. Greg, thanks for joining us. How are you?
1: I'm great, Mark. Thanks for having me on as someone you know that I wouldn't say loves identifying my mistakes, but certainly doesn't have a problem identifying my mistakes. And I'm also glad you gave me about a month to prepare so I could really think about all the different mistakes that maybe people could learn from. <laughs>
0: Well, sure. And I mean, that's, I mean, that's one of the themes of the podcast here is, you know, for one, we all make mistakes, but secondly, hopefully we learn um, from those mistakes. And, and so, you know, with that, and there's a lot of other things we can explore afterwards, Greg, I mean, what would you say is your favorite mistake?
1: Favorite mistakes. That was maybe one of the mistakes I had, which was, which was trying to pick one of my favorite mistakes. So I love the number five and, uh, In kind of thinking through and identifying, I thought mistakes that were applicable to more people because I think there's some mistakes that are going to be so unique to your personal situation that, um, while hopefully you learn from them, they're probably not beneficial for other people. And really, we're doing this so other people can learn from these. So I I I broke it down to five, and uh, and perhaps they are in in order. So mistake number one is not reading more. I used to be someone that really disliked reading. I didn't read very much in elementary school, middle school, high school. Obviously, I had to excel um, in academia, otherwise you can't get to medical school, but it felt like more of a chore. And uh, what's interesting is that, um, well, before I say before I say if someone would have told me I'll, I'll just kind of go through the entire arc. The there, there was a, a semester in college where I, I went and lived in Costa Rica. And and there I ended up reading for some reason I really got into a whole bunch of john Irving books and was reading just a lot of a lot of his novels and, and someone even commented to me that wow, your, your writing on your emails has improved so much. Mm-hmm. So to me, there was this disconnect between reading and all of the other benefits that reading does for you. Um, I, I always thought reading was just a, a singular uh, you know, beneficial aspect of, well, you're just reading for information. I never, never ended up realizing that, well, the more you read, the, the faster you read, the more you comprehend what you're reading. And ultimately, the more it translates into writing. Um, what's interesting is that if someone would have told me back in middle school the single most valuable thing you can do in your life is to read because it will make you you know smarter more efficient a better communicator. Um, one, I probably wouldn't have believed them, but um, two, I feel like I would have had such a um, a leap ahead in in so many areas that um, I've struggled in 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 the past, and and then I'll. Just pause to, to get your, your insight in this after, mm-hmm. um, as time has gone on, and as I've realized the benefit of reading, uh, audiobooks have become uh,
0: mm.
1: much more popular. And while I think it's probably better to read, I find that um, I'm able to consume so much more with, with podcasts and audiobooks. And then in, in this year, we declared at Kinexus and that this mm-hmm. is going to be the year of reading and um i'm realizing now we're 8 months into it mark and it's not going to be the year of reading it's just weird that we are going to have a culture of reading and so we've done a number of different books in uh, like book club format that that we're all getting benefit from so uh, reading more yeah. in short
0: so so let, i mean let's explore that a little bit um i i recently had the chance to interview tom peters kind of the legendary author of in search of excellence and other books and I don't think he was just saying this because he's an author. He's, he's saying that um, the biggest fault of a corporate CEO is that they don't read enough. And he really puts a huge emphasis on that, of basically the curiosity and, and the continued learning, um, in addition to the benefits that um, that you described. So as a follow-up to that, I mean, I guess, how, how and, and when did you realize, I mean, you sort of talked about how you you got into reading, but when when was it that you realized that it had been a mistake to not be reading as much in the past? How did, how did you come to so
1: that? Cer- certainly when when my good friend responded? I mean, this would have been in '96 that I was in Costa Rica, so email was newish, and he responded to the email and said, um, "I can I can tell you've been reading a lot better because I can actually understand what you're writing," and then and then if there's one way to make someone really hate reading, it's to send them through medical school because you just have to read so much. Yeah. And so between medical school and residency, my pleasure reading just really dropped off. And then it really came back with uh, the founding of the and and realizing I didn't have a formal business education. And so starting to, to read about startups and, and general business books, uh, you know, probably read Fifty over the last uh, fifteen years, and uh, um, I've had people tell me, "Oh, well, you don't need to do an MBA because you've already read all of the major texts that you would review in an MBA anyway." So, um, the, really, the, the switch has been getting extremely interested in in spreading continuous improvement with Kanbanix, which I know we'll talk about at the end. And so, but one other tip that I found really interesting that I just started doing with the the book club because we're we're not picking um, random books, right? We're picking books that we really think are are beneficial. So, I've ended up listening to them on audiobook, and then I've ended up purchasing the physical copy and re-listening to it on audiobook while I'm physically reading the text. Mm-hmm. And I have just had a huge, deeper uh, appreciation as well as extraction of information by doing that. So, certainly worth an experiment for someone if they. And find themselves not being engaged or, or spacing out when they're either doing the audio book or the physical book, just combine them. It's really hard to think about anything else when you're that engaged in mm-hmm. someone's words.
0: Yeah. So you, you talked about the mistake of not reading enough as, as a discovery. Thanks. Thanks to your friend. Um, what were some of the other favorite mistakes that had come to yeah, mind? Yeah.
1: So so number two, number two was not figuring out a good work-life balance, and so I am a consummate workaholic, as I'm sure many people that are listening to to this podcast are. And uh, um, really, once once medical school um, was going, I there was a period of time where I didn't think I wanted to be a doctor. I didn't in, enjoy the the academic part of medical school at all. Um, it was in my opinion, completely devoid of intellect. It was just a process of how much can you possibly memorize and stick in your head. And so I got involved in real estate um, on the side because uh, my, my parents uh, were an entrepreneurial family and uh, my father has been in real estate for you know 50 plus years. And uh, so while I got more interested in medicine, when we started doing clinicals and seeing patients, my love of real estate never went away. So in the background, I've been investing in, in real estate over the last twenty plus years, and so that added a group of work. And then, you know, I had the brilliant idea: of, well, how hard could it be to start a, a software company? Um, so I've been doing that as well as maintaining a, a clinical emergency medicine practice, um, although that's that's pretty tiny now. Um, but uh, in in 2015, my my wife uh, sent me an email, and she said. Um, If ever there's a time you could work less, uh, please do so because I feel like we are just co-inhabiting now versus having a meaningful relationship. And um, I'm summarizing uh, a much longer longer email, but that email was really, it was amazing for me to get. Um, And it's one of those emails I actually just return to my inbox every 90 days and I reread Mm -hmm. um because the only way to establish work-life balance is to make tiny little choices um where you're deciding well if if I was someone that had a good work-life balance what's the decision I would make right now would I unplug and and go be with family would I pick up the guitar would I do projects around whatever it is that's not working and so it's something that I struggle with constantly it's something that I've gotten better at over the last five years because I I will ask her maybe once a year, how am I doing? But it's something that I think that uh, it's not intuitive, but you actually do better work when you're working, when you do have a good work-life balance. And so sometimes just putting more time, effort, and energy to something, mm-hmm. it almost slows you down in a weird, bizarre way.
0: Well, there's. You know, it seems like a lot of entrepreneurs and and even CEOs in large corporations kind of perpetuate this idea that you can just effort your way out of anything. You know, kind of the the, the culture of of uh, bragging about how many hours you work every week or the executive profile of well, so and so wakes up at four a.m. every morning and they're in the gym by four fifteen and um. That that's 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 uh, not the only way to to really drive effectiveness, right?
1: Yeah, I think I would hate to jump to the conclusion that someone that said, "Oh, I wake up at every morning at 4 a.m. and and in the gym by 4:15," to say that they don't have a good work-life balance. But um, I think a person only really knows themselves if they if they truly are aware and, um, and meaningfully introspective at at whether or not they are achieving a work-life balance. Um, hopefully that process includes asking all the people that are most meaningful to them, Hey, am I meeting your needs in this relationship? Am I present? Am I, you know, watching life pass by? But, um, at at the end of the day, it's just going to take looking at yourself in the mirror and, and figuring that out.
0: Um, so you said you had three other mistakes. Okay.
1: Three other. All right. Um, so oh. one of the things that happens in, in a startup and it, it happened to us uh, perfectly is that, um, and it's something that I actually read. I wish I remember I read a blog post on it and I was like, oh, that, that fits us about 90% is you get to a certain point in a startup where the founder um, passion um becomes um, uh, diffused through so much interaction that you can't drive culture through just being passionate about solving a problem. So what do I mean? So we have two founders at at Kinexus, uh, Matt and I. And if we have um, our first two employees, you know, really got a ton of our attention. Um, they were interacting with us, you know, certainly on a daily basis, but, but many times, you know, for many, many, many hours a day. As you go from, you know, two employees to five employees to 10 to 15, you can you can start to understand the exponential growth aspect of that. And you start realizing, well, so now you yeah, have 100% of my time. Now this person might have 80% of my time. And this person, you get to a point where people are really getting a very small Percent of your of direct one on one, and so there there needs and it seems like twenty people is what this this blog post I was reading. I wish I could attribute it um, to to the right person, but it it seems like twenty seems to be a a good number to realize that you need to start managing the company a little bit differently, and you need to go from kind of flying by the seat of your pants, shooting from the hip, to being more intentional about the type of people you want to be, or people use the term culture. And so I have a recurring item on my, um, to do that. That reminds me that, that I should be spending about 20% of my time working on, I'm going to call them soft things, but, um, that's not to say that, that, that they're less important than hard things. And, you know, it's like the soft sciences are, you know, potentially more valuable than the hard sciences um, to, to us. But uh, but I'm, I'm labeling them as soft because you sometimes don't see a direct uh, effect from them to the bottom line, for instance, like you would closing a deal or signing a renewal or expanding a customer. But um, they directly affect people's you know, amount of joy they have at work. It's going to affect your retention. Um, we had a incredibly high retention level at um, Kinexis and the first person that just left was right about the twenty person mark. And um, and sometimes people leave because they decide they no longer you know want to do that job and want to change careers. And sometimes they leave for other companies. But if you don't take the opportunity to say, well, what could I have done differently? to make that person you know not want to make that decision, then you know, shame on you for not using the opportunity. So um focusing on on culture and then this next one is it's it's the yin, maybe not the yin to the yang, but it, it's just it flows right off the tongue right after the focusing on on culture um is uh is focusing on on appreciation and um growing up in an emergency medicine framework, you you don't have really direct connection to your medical director all the time. And so you're kind of a solo uh, person that a lot of people don't really see what you're doing on the front line with a patient. And so I never really appreciated uh, how important appreciation mm-hmm. is from your, your boss or your the person that you report to i mean the 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 emails that say oh it's it's doctor appreciation day or mm-hmm. there's balloons or they give you a gift you know, those are great but that's not the type of appreciation that we're talking about um we're talking about just meaningful hey mark thanks for doing such a great job with you know the webinar series at kinexus thank you for you know really adding value to kinexus over the last 9 years and, and giving examples i think is is something that i'm learning i'm trying to get better at and uh, I think that is in hugely important um, in, in a company, especially when you kind of get past that 20 employee mark.
0: So, and before you talk about the fifth, I've got to ask, okay. so you said okay. the third yeah. mistake, maybe to, to paraphrase it back was um, learning, not learning soon enough how to be more scalable as the CEO, how to influence right. Right. a larger company. And then you said that's not, yeah. being, not being appreciative enough is there a pattern? You said your first two were sort of uh, the eye opener was an email from somebody.
1: Did oh, interesting. Your, did your third um, and fourth
0: mistakes sort of come to light because of feedback, whether it was an email or yes.
1: Office? Thank yes, I'm glad you brought that up. So we we realized a couple of years ago when when we started to focus on uh, culture in a more meaningful way. So what does it mean to focus on culture? So it means to be more intentional about doing one on ones with people. It means to stop and 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 really realize that people are people and they have home lives and showing an interest a genuine interest not like a superficial interest about people's passions and about you know what makes them tick outside of work um and uh, there's there's many other ones but i'll just jump to the one where we got the feedback that i realized that i could probably be better at telling people wow that was really great work thanks for doing that um, so we started a, a reverse evaluation process hmm. in tw- um, the summer of 2019 was the first time we did it. We realized we had done regular, I guess, forward evaluations, just typical um, performance evaluations. Yeah, yeah. T- per- yeah, typical, uh, performance evaluations in, we usually do it around January of every year, kind of talking about the prior year and things of that nature, uh, but we never gave an opportunity for employees to evaluate the people they report to. So we did a bunch of research on how to do that. And uh, we came up with a process where um, it's anonymous and I'm, I'm very big on anonymity or big on not being anonymous when you're engaging in improvement work. And that's probably a topic for a different podcast, but we felt like doing it in, in a way where people could get feedback where they didn't fear, any um, repercussions from that, and so it gets sent to someone outside of Kynexus, and, and um, that person kind of removes personalizations um, without trying to make it too uh, diluted, and um, kind of gives it back to us. And in 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 both both evaluations um, in 2019 and 2020, it was a theme that uh, people feel like they don't get appreciated and so um, appreciation has to be from the perspective of the person that, that is receiving it because that's why you're giving it for them so I could say well I feel like I give people appreciation all the time but if people don't feel like they're appreciated it doesn't really matter what I feel um, right. in that in that situation so um, so it was uh, it was through the written word
0: yeah well and uh, you know when you talk about giving that direct specific individualized feedback and recognition, Um, being powerful, that makes me think of, you know, one of my favorite business leaders, um, the late Paul O'Neill, who said, you know, in, in, in an excellent organization, people would be able to answer yes to three questions every day. And that third question is, have I received recognition? And here's the important part. I think you'll get a kick out of this. You know, have I received recognition from somebody whose opinion matters to me? which I think is an interesting thing. Yeah, interesting. And I'm not saying that people aren't respecting, it doesn't matter that they're getting feedback from you, but I think that's that's an interesting dimension to think about where I think that generic, it makes me think of that generic of like, oh, it's Nurses Appreciation Week and we're throwing a pizza party. Does that really count as recognition? And if that chief nursing officer who maybe you've never seen all year suddenly shows up and has some platitudes. Does that really, does that really provide?
1: Yeah. I I mean, I'm sure it moves the needle, but it's not moving the needle. I think in a meaningful way that people think it's moving the needle, it would just mean so much more when the chief nursing officer walks down on a busy ER shift and just says, Hey, thanks so much. We got three pizzas coming later. You know, um, that I think is more meaningful than the, oh, it's whatever the nursing appreciation or the doctor appreciation or, or, day happens to be on the calendar.
0: You know, recognition can also mean acknowledgement of, um, you know, I'm, I'm here and I'm not just dropping off the pizzas, but I've got some time if you want to tell me how things are going here and what could we be doing better. Those are conversations that that you and, and Kynexis and, and the customers are always talking about improvement yeah. In, in rec- yeah. yeah. And I, recognition I, can I, be I, different I, things, or maybe I'm just using the word. Yeah. And apologize.
1: I didn't mean to say that you should yeah. drop off pizzas. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> it really, I think the 90% of the, the benefit there is just coming down and looking at someone in the, in the eyes and say, dude, I get it. Like this is, you know, this is where the real work is happening and we really appreciate it. And yeah. I know it can get overwhelming sometimes. So, um, yeah. Yeah. but pizzas yeah. are always great too.
0: Yeah, and and my point was if that if that chief nursing officer only shows up once a year in that ceremonial, hey, it's Nurses Week. That they might not that that person's opinion or recognition might not matter. They don't know that person. They don't have a relationship with them. Right. That's what you're saying in a company of twenty people or or less. Um, even though that's evolved as you described people can have more of a relationship with you as the CEO than they could be uh, with hundreds or thousands of nurses in an organization. Yeah. So
1: I've always thinking about scaling this. Uh, Obviously when we have 40 people that are part of the Kinex's team and then a hundred and so on and so forth, there's going to come a time where I won't be part of the hiring process. I I may have never worked with someone directly on something. So I would need to think of some process where, you know, I'm getting feedback or I'm hearing about things that are happening several levels different from me where I can call someone out um, with some, you know, specific uh, example. And um, obviously if there's a thousand people, I won't be able to do that to everybody. But if I could do that to, you know, 20 people throughout the year, and then I'm showing that as modeling behavior, then presumably, Everyone's going to get um, get some appreciation or love from from their bosses, and I think that probably that doesn't feel like a very difficult process to to develop. Um, it just feels like you 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 need to have the desire to do that because a, a, a quick three line email. I mean, what does it take you a couple minutes to write? So. Yeah.
0: Okay, and then what was the the fifth of your top five? Um, So
1: so this is an interesting one and and maybe it's flipping it a little bit on your head or the question on its head, but I've made mistakes in the past and sorry for the extra noise. We're all working from home. So um, I've made um, mistakes in the past on on, uh, like some real estate, I'll use real estate for an example, because that's just an easy one to kind of, um, I've made some investments in real estate without doing my proper due diligence because I made the assumption, oh, well, this person is investing in that and, and they have a good track record and they're a smart person. So by proxy, I don't need to do as much due diligence. And, and if you look back at all of the investments I've made that have not done as well, fortunately, I have more that I've done well uh, than, than not. But if you look back at that, that's a recurring theme that happens. And so I think that the teaching point for me is that um, I don't make the assumption that other people know more than you or know better than you. Mm. That doesn't mean you should always make the assumption that you're right and they're wrong, but don't go in with that default assumption. And so I think that's the, the real tricky part is how, how do you know when to listen to yourself or when to listen to someone else? And if everyone do that, then we always make the right decisions because then we just ask around and know, oh, well, that's the right thing to do. But uh, I think you get my point that um, yeah. don't, don't d- do a little bit of your own research. Don't just, don't aimlessly follow, if that makes sense. Okay.
0: So let's talk, um, and thank you for for sharing all of that and, and, and for those yeah. reflections. Um, well, let's talk a little bit about Kinexus and um, maybe Have you described, you know, what the company's mission is and and what the products and services are. But then, you know, also, you know, would be curious to know as CEO, how do you work at building a culture where people aren't afraid to admit mistakes? And how do you create a culture where people are learning from mistakes? Because, again, mistakes happen.
1: So uh, I'll touch on those two things. But before I touch on those two things, um, I, I want to add one thing that has gotten kind of to where it is today. And so when we're thinking about mistakes um, I, I, or really decisions, because we're talking about you know, decisions we made or actions we did, that's really what the mistake is. It's probably not just a, a, a pure thought experiment um, that would determine a mistake uh, is that In reality, if you look back at the arc of Kynexus, the the five years kind of pre-company formation where I was thinking about the concepts and working on a prototype software and then the 10 years now of of being in the company um, arena, there might be only five or 10 real decisions that would have completely impacted the company to the point of failure. The... The other, I probably am participating in a dozen or, or two dozen decisions a day. And depending on how important you're talking about it. It might be that a person is making you know hundreds of decisions a day. Down if we're talking about like, well, what are you going to have for breakfast? But uh, the vast majority of decisions that that you make in a, in a day or in, in a business um, really aren't going to change the bottom line um, in a meaningful way. You just have to get like 80% of them. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, So the real thing is, is, is knowing, is this a decision that could have the potential to uh, kill the company versus, is this a decision that doesn't have that potential? So the risk of failure is uh, one mitigated because the impact isn't necessarily detrimental But two, is going to be also impacted in a positive way because uh, you're going to be observant about the failure and you're going to improve from it. And so as I'm thinking about delegating uh, decisions to people, that crosses my mind. You know, if, if Mark makes this decision and he's wrong, how detrimental is it? And so, um, so kind of, as we're thinking through decisions and mistakes, there's, there's probably maybe one or two a year that are the really big ones. And then there's, you know, 99% of the other ones you, you need to get most of them, right. You just don't need to get all of them, right. Obviously, if you're, if a hundred percent of the decisions you make are mistakes, you're going to run a company into the ground or organization of the ground. So I, I wanted to say that in, in, it dovetails nicely that we are a startup um, that um, is still around. And so I would argue that we have not made any fatal mistakes and that we, for the most part, made more uh, correct answers than, um, than um, incorrect answers. And so we're, we're a software company. We, we help organizations uh, spread a culture of continuous improvement. And so most people that are listening to this know you are a, I'll call you a lean guru. And so most of our customers are coming from, I know you're, you're smirking I, I and you're, you're nodding. Like that I,
0: that's <laughs> a mistake using that word. Go <laughs> that's ahead.
1: What um, but uh, <laughs> most people that know you wouldn't, wouldn't find it surprising that you're working with a, a software company that is implementing, you know, continuous improvement, lean and Kaizen concepts, or at least helping organizations implement those. And so that's what we do. We have companies that, come to us and say, we are totally disorganized, we have no way to understand impact, we have no way to engage our employees, we're using Excel Word, we're using these project management platforms that that aren't based on lean and and Kaizen concepts, we need to accelerate how many ideas we get. So those are the kinds of things that people come to us and, and we provide a platform to help people Manage their top down work like large scale lean projects that might have 10 to 20 people involved in them that might last for months. And um, people sometimes call them value stream apps or large PDSAs or strategic A3s or kind of give it a bunch of different names. We also help people manage their top, uh, their bottom up work. Um, that's you know, employee frontline ideas, um, opportunities for improvement, frustrations um identifications of defects or 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 mistakes um or patient errors um something that's that's driven from from the front line, um and then it gets routed kind of up through we we help people um visualize their KPIs and uh, hopefully if they're measuring the right KPIs and they're doing good improvement work then then those uh, key performance indicators will be improving and um, and so uh, and then finally, as we have evolved, because we really started initially with just bottom up and then we added the top down and then we we added the KPIs, but we realized people were coming to us and saying, this is all great, but, but we need a way to align it all. Mm-hmm. And so we've added in uh, functionality into the platform that helps people with their, their strategy deployment or their Hotion work so they can see how, how do the KPIs, how do the big initiatives and how do all the small initiatives kind of fit together? I guess I should have probably gone vertical there instead of... Um, horizontal. So, um, but that's a little bit about Kinexus. So, mm-hmm. if if you are trying to develop a culture of continuous improvement and you're struggling, um, and uh, you realize you're probably not using the right technologies, then that you would be a good person to reach out to us mm-hmm. and uh, see if we can help with those things. Yeah,
0: um, and the website there is kinexus.com, K-A-I-N-E-X-U-S com. Boy, I made a mistake and stumbled through the spelling of that, kinexus.com. No, I, I, the I'm the
1: glad you, You. I think you went slow. I, I like that. Right. And it's obviously a combination of the words Kaizen and Nexus. So yeah. the idea is that you would do continuous improvement, kind of in an interconnected way at an organization. And I'm, I'm proud to say that Mark and I met on Valentine's Day of 2011. Yep. And he has uh, been a part of the company since its early days. I like to think of him as Keeping us on track um, to to the to the mission and the the I'm going to use quotes again air quotes uh, the correct application of lean practices um, and so uh, we're honored to have had you part of the team.
0: Oh, thanks. And so, yeah, I was I was going to say in the interest of um, disclosure that I've been a contractor, a part time and emplo- part time employee, an investor. Um, part of the team at Kinexus in different ways. But one observation, and, and and going back to 2011, 2012, we talked about this a lot, Greg, of um, you know, being intentional around the culture. And one thing I'll, I'll give you and Matt as um, the other co-founder credit for as the day-to-day leaders of the or- organization is creating an environment where uh, people aren't blamed or vilified when something goes wrong. Because as... as you have experienced differently than I have around healthcare. Um, When people get named, blamed, and shamed, when a mistake occurs, that leads to the hiding of problems. And then if you cover up the problem, you can't learn from it as an individual, as a leader, as an organization. So the one thing that comes to mind answering my own question a little bit of how do you create a culture where people are learning from mistakes? I think it comes back to the idea of eliminating fear, eliminating blame and creating an environment where yes, we can reflect, but um, we've got to do so in a way that's um, constructive instead of um, just beating ourselves up or even worse beating someone else up in a proverbial sense. I think,
1: and you'll have to correct me if I'm wrong um, on, on who kind of uses the 85 to 15 rule. But um, if you go into something that 85% of defects or errors are based on an inadequate process, for, and only 15% of those are based on true human error, you, you end up uh, creating a culture. And I've, I've worked in cultures um, in, in the past, especially on the healthcare. Where the the burden of identifying an error um, there is shame associated with it and and there is sometimes such a rigorous process that you are going to get involved that if there was no harm that happened nine times out of ten, it's just not going to get reported and, and any any physician nurse, anyone that actually does clinical medicine um will nod their head up and down. I mean, I've worked in over a dozen uh, medical centers uh, over the last 20 years um, in, in different countries. And um, and it's just, and I'm talking about the small stuff, like, oh, person got 600 Emotrin instead of 800 Emotrin. Well, I mean, that's really an opportunity for improvement, but right. you know, not having a system uh, that makes that easy and celebrates that experience, not because we're happy someone got 200 milligrams less than they should have gotten, But because they provided an opportunity to look at a process to see if we could make that safer, because, you know, the next medication error could be, you know, 10x of the amount of heparin um, uh, that someone is given. And, and, you know, heparin, as you know, is a blood thinning medication. And that that can be and has been um, life threatening. And that that mistake may have been prevented. I don't know, you know how many times this happened, but I, I know you and I both know of the specific case that we're thinking about. Um, but that may have been, prevented had there been a different culture and a much smaller in impact error was made um, that had there been a process to evaluate that um, it could have prevented other things. And so um, I've just, just, just this past couple of days, we, 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 um, And we did a retrospective as we do with every release Um, and that we do, we did a release on Friday or uh, two Fridays ago and um, the dev team product team um, all get together. And I'm just, I'm so proud of that team. Uh, The the quality of the work that they do is, is so high. And even though they do that level of quality, they also are looking for ways to improve. And so, um, and so it's a, it's, it is a pleasure when you work in that framework that we're, we don't want to over process things, but we're going to focus on process to see if we can eliminate um, mistakes in the past uh, or mistakes in the future. Um, so yeah. I, I, I'd like to think we do a good job of it.
0: Yeah. Well, it's, it's an ongoing um, effort and challenge. And that reflection leads to growth, which leads to more likelihood of success, I think. And that's why.
1: Thank you very much. I will take your. I will be appreciative of your appreciation. Sure.
0: And that's why you know we're we're um, we call the podcast "My Favorite Mistake." It's not titled "Beat Yourself Up Over Something That You Did." Um, So thank you, Greg, for um, leading by example and for talking about mistakes, and more importantly, the learning that that comes from those. So I am appreciative of um, our guest. He's Dr. Greg Jacobson, again, emergency medicine physician, co-founder, CEO of um, Kinexus. Greg, thank you. Thank you so much for being a guest.
1: Thank you very much for having me, Mark. And uh, I always like to remind people that there is no better day than today to start working on continuous improvement, whether that's uh, personally or whether that's at your organization, what you do matters. And so um, just get to it. And best
0: of luck. Yeah. Thanks, Greg. Thanks for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to pause and think about your own favorite mistake and how learning from mistakes shapes you personally and professionally. If you're a leader, what can you do to create a culture where it's safe for colleagues to talk openly about mistakes in the spirit of learning? Please subscribe, rate, and review the podcast. Our website is MyFavoriteMistakePodcast.com. See you next time.